Hi, I'm Homer Hargrove and I'm the pastor of Grave Top Church. I hope that today's message inspires you and that connecting with our church family today truly makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. God, give me some slack today. Um, I, uh, this, I actually just have compiled one page of handwritten notes. Um, but it's okay, that's how I used to prepare my messages back in the day. And we're going to be talking today, uh, we're going to finish this series about how we've really been unpacking fear and today we're going to be uh, talking about the fear to own your faith. The fear to own your faith. And what I've found is that within our faith, we have this huge fear that holds us back. We have this, this undeniable fear of failing. We have this, this fear within our flesh our, our flesh always just battling this ongoing fear. And we have this fear of rejection. And all of this fear stops us from really, truly owning our faith. And I want to start off by sharing uh, this scripture. And, and normally, I always have all the scriptures on the screen. Today, I just have one uh, to put on the screen. And I have a lot of other scriptures that I'm going to just be pulling uh, old school. I hope that's okay with you guys. And... It's going to be in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 17. And it says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Intentions. I feel like that's a word that is thrown, thrown around a lot in, um, within our Christian faith, within relationships, that I didn't intend to hurt your feelings, right? <laughs> I, didn't, I, I didn't mean that when I said that. We, we get this idea about intentions, and even when it comes to our faith, we have this intention to do good in our lives. We have this intention to find God, but it's like, just like the scripture describes is that there's these two forces just constantly battling within us to where we want to do good, but we inevitably aren't able to do it some reason. We, we don't want to do bad, but you know, we slip up and we do bad sometimes. And I want to be clear that this, this message, I, my heart is for us to really understand that there's a level of our faith that's held back by this, this incredible uh, label of intention, this label of intention. And the thing that stops it from between intention and action, I really believe is fear, is fear. And I want to start off by our first point, which is no one else. And I want us to understand that no one else can be responsible for your faith. No one else can be responsible for your faith. I, I feel like we have this fear of ownership because we don't know it all. We have this humble aspiration with our, with our faith is that, well, we don't know everything. We don't know everything that's in the Bible. And we have this projection to where we just trust the church to fulfill what we need. We trust the, the pastor to tell us what we need to hear. And while we do need teachers, we do need pastors, we need uh, the church, at the end of the day, we cannot attempt to transfer that responsibility of our faith. We, we, we attempt to transfer the responsibility to our faith to be on 
top of the church and on top of the role of the pastor, but simply it doesn't work like that. And I think the reason that we try to make that transfer is because we have this fear that we are not able to do it on our own. It's kind of like the, remember the first time, you, uh, for those of y'all who are married, it's like the first year that you were married, you felt like you were just like pretending you're married. It's almost like you, you, you didn't attribute yourself to be like a real married couple like everyone else because you don't really know what you're doing. Or almost like the first year that you had kids and you're just like pretending that you're a parent. You're just like trying to figure it out, but you're really not like all the other parents. And we have this imposter syndrome. We have this imposter syndrome and it's like it follows us with every major role in our lives. The first time you got like that real job that you wanted and you're just pretending that you really know what you're doing. And especially when it comes to our faith, we have that same fear and we think that we're pretending we're Christians. We think we're pretending that we have a relationship with God. Even though we're trying, we really are trying, but we feel like there's this huge fear this fear that stops us to really entering in that role. And it's that fear of being a hypocrite, that fear of being an imposter. And so it's easier to transfer that responsibility onto the church or onto the pastor, the preachers, the leadership. And I think it, it comes from our, our American ideology of church. We have a consumer mentality when it comes to church. It, it's similar to like that of the way we see McDonald's or like Jiffy Lube. We, we see it as a place that we can get fed, a place that we can get things fixed. And I mean, I don't take my car to Jiffy Lube but to get fixed, but <laughs> I wouldn't trust those guys. But we look at these places to fulfill what we want or what we need. And if they do an okay job, then we'll come back. And see, we, we feel like church should be that. It should be the place that it feeds us and fixes us and does the work for us. But it truly isn't, it doesn't work like that. I think that church is more so like a gym membership is that it provides the atmosphere for you to grow spiritually. It, it provides the atmosphere for you to be able to engage with God. It, it provides an, even a coach to help lead you along the, the things that you don't know how to do, the things that you you're not knowledgeable of. It provides it like a coach for that. But at the end of the day, it's up to you to get on the bench you can go to church regularly, just like you can go to the gym regularly. If you just kind of like, you know, hang out with some other people working out, you, you can get a positive mentality. You, you can even start talking like you're, you're a gym guy, a gym girl. You're just like, yeah, you know, just going to the treadmill. <laughs> we can talk like that and we can associate all these positive traits. But at the end of the day, you're not going to see a real growth until you move the bar. And so you get on the bench. No one else can be responsible for your faith but you. And I think that each of us have an amazingly rich and power-filled relationship with God within our grasp. It, this, this rich, amazing relationship with God within our grasp. But we have this fear that we can't hold on to it. We have this fear that we don't know how to do the workout. You ever been to a gym and you're afraid to actually work out because you don't know what you're doing? I, I did not try deadlifts until I built my home gym. <laughs> I'll be honest. I do them all the time now, but I was just too scared to do it in front of all these people. I didn't know what I was doing. But see, 
Now that I do deadlifts, oh, I see amazing results. <laughs> with this amazing, rich relationship with God is within your grasp, but you have to throw off this fear that you don't know what you're doing. That there's so, all of us are just trying to figure it out. All of us. It should throw off that, that pressure you're feeling to know that we're all trying to get a relationship with God. We're all imperfect. We're all trying. So why let that fear of rejection, that fear of failure, stop you from really engaging with God? I, I'm telling you, it's, it, it is the most amazing thing you can ever experience in your life. It, a full surrendered relationship with God. And, and let's talk about just that, a full surrender. A full surrender. Baptism is a symbol of full transparency and surrender. Baptism is a symbol of full transparency and surrender. And I think that when we're talking about a relationship with God, I think we should talk about passion. Passion. And I was about raised in church, and so I don't know, I didn't know all the rules, okay? And I didn't know all the things that are like our unspoken rules. And I remember I, I just when I gave my life to Christ, having this fire, this passion inside of me, it, it was just this, this overwhelming joy. And it made me just excited about anything with God. And I found out very quickly that within the church, it, it, it's almost like some people are irritated by that passion and they want you to, to slow down. In fact, some people would try to stifle that passion, saying, well, you're going to burn yourself out if you do all that. You just need to calm down and just do a little bit at a time. And it sounds right. It, it reminds me of when I first got this job um, uh, as a jet engine mechanic on an Air Force base. And I remember I was, I was so used to working for my dad. And working for my dad is, uh, as um, like a warehouse worker. It, people would think like, oh, so you got to slack. I was like, no, he treated me worse than regular employees. <laughs> he had no refrain from like being sued or anything like that. And so I went from like extremely great worth that work ethic to going into a base where I was just walking quickly to the next, the next job site. People were like, whoa, 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 slow down. We're going to get there when we get there, okay? We got all day to get this job done. And see, with Christianity... It, it can, there's a, a, a stigma that can come like that. It's like, hey, we're, we're all going to get to God eventually. Let's all just slow down. And we don't have to do all that. And I notice that people who are in a stagnant relationship with God are irritated by people who have a passion for God. And I want to I project that passion is seen as an urgency. In, in Acts chapter 8, verse 36 through 39. See, I'm, I told you I didn't have it at all on the thing. Y'all are going to see how quick I can get there because I read the Bible. Um, as they, it says, as they rode along, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? And he ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. I wanted to share this verse because it shows this, this moment of baptism, this moment of water baptism. And 
what happened was that the Holy Spirit told Philip to walk along this carriage. And he started listening to this eunuch that was reading scripture. And he starts just, uh, he kind of like is intrusive. Like, do you know what you're reading? And he starts explaining to him the scripture he's reading. And he got so fired up. And as, as Philip is talking about Jesus and the gospel, and he's talking about, and he's talking about this, this full surrender, and he explains <coughs> baptism, and this guy is like, well, look, there's some water right here. Can you baptize me right now? And, and it's this moment in which we see just this urgency to where there's no hesitation. There's no desire to wait. It's like, let's do it right now. And have you not noticed that within our church culture, Within American church culture, we have this, like, we need preparation. We need to get mentally ready first. And here in Scripture, we see this urgency to have that full surrender to God. And I believe that when, when we allow passion to lead us, it, it takes the idea of, of I don't want to say logic, but that idea of being mentally ready out of the equation. It makes me think about when I met my wife, Lauren, and passion quickly took over the scene. We were very passionate for one another. And I, I will say that we waited to make love till we got married, which was six months after we met. <laughs> Y'all might think that wasn't long, but that was, that was like a, equivalent to the 40 years in the desert, okay? <laughs> and, but see, there is this, this urgency to us because of our passion. We, we couldn't keep each other away from one another because there was passion there. And I believe that it resembles what our relationship with God should be like. It's, where it's like things don't even have to make sense. You, you're just in love. You just have this passionate fire that is drawing you closer. And I think that that urgency, that urgency, that when we don't, when we have that, the, the opposite of that is hesitation. Hesitation. And when we feel hesitation more than we feel urgency, I think it shows that battle between our flesh and spirit that we re like we read in Galatians. It shows our flesh trying to overcome our spirit. And it tries to stifle our spiritual passion through hesitation. And let's talk about what water baptism is. What is water baptism really supposed to, uh, to be? And I've, I think it's funny because I was not raised in church, and yet when I gave my life to Christ and I started going to church, I, I realized that so many preachers, teachers, Christians had an incorrect idea of what water baptism actually is. See, I would hear it very often that water baptism is, it symbolizes repentance, right? It symbolizes like washing away your sins. But see, that is actually not what water baptism we're supposed to have. That is the baptism of John. John the Baptist would baptize people symbolically to wash away their sins. It was a, a baptism of repentance. But we're under the new covenant of Jesus. What baptism am I talking about? It's where we actually bathe in pig's blood. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm going to read you all a scripture in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. And it's, 
it says, this is Paul's third missionary journey. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast and where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked. Now we're going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a minute. But notice that it, it's that important that he asked them. He asked them. And then they said, no, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. They replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who called, would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. So notice the scripture is talking about that he distinguishes between John's baptism of repentance and being baptized in Jesus. See, there's something more powerful than repentance, and that is identifying with Jesus Christ. See, Churches, we get so focused, we get so fixated on repentance, and we think that we have to repent of everything. Which, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that there's not repentance required, but repentance, it just translates to change direction. So the moment that you identify with Jesus, you go from death to life. You change directions. You go from darkness to light. You change directions. And it's not as much about making a checklist of all the different things that you can possibly repent of. I mean, people are repenting of food. I mean, we're going, we're, we're making it so legalistic with the idea of repentance where there's, there's churches that are professing that, that we need to go to another level of repentance by not eating pork like the, the Israelites don't eat. It's like, dog, that's not going to make you more holy. In, in fact, scripture makes it really clear about how religious requirements will never make us right with God. That we are only saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And I believe that when we have this moment of, of genuine baptism, that what it is is that it's an identifying of Jesus Christ. We identify with Christ. And I think that's the major thing that Christians miss that caused them to abandon their faith just nine months later, just three years later after giving their life to Christ is because they had a mentality of repentance, but they never had a mentality of identifying with Jesus of moving from death to life. And when you do that, your heart begins to change because you're no longer the person that you used to be. You're a new creation. And you begin to identify with the things of God. It's like almost like this osmosis thing happens to where now that I'm closer to Christ, it, it, the sin within me, the, the, the things I used to desire are fading away. It's almost like cancer treatment. It's like I'm near the, the Son of God and his, his, his light is so powerful that it is causing the sin within me to die. And my, de my desires change. It's because of this identification with Christ. And it's, it's symbolic. Water baptism is symbolic to that. Is that it covers us. We're, we're putting on this new identi identity. How, how quickly can you identify a police officer? By their outward appearance, right? How quickly can you identify a doctor? By their outward appearance. How quickly can you identify a mechanic, a lawyer, a judge? By their outward appearance. In the same way, water baptism is a spiritual representation of how our outward appearance spiritually changes because we're being 
covered in the blood of Jesus. We're being marked. We're being identified as Christians. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so water baptism, I want to make it clear. Water baptism is a symbol. It's a sacrament. We are saved only through our faith in Christ Jesus. Baptism is, is a supplemental practice. It's a spiritual, powerful practice. But one can be saved without being water baptized. I need to make that clear for, our, for doctrinal purposes, our, our theology. Because there's some people that believe that if you're not water baptized, then you'll go to hell. Some people believe that if you're simply water baptized, that, that's all you need to go to heaven. Did you know John Wayne Gacy? Y'all know who that is? He's a serial killer that killed over 30 children, 30 young boys. He was, he was uh, the leader of the, night, the neighborhood Night Watch. He was a, 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 a clown that would go to, he would dress up as a clown to go to parties and, and he would do these, these little celebrations for kids. He's actually the person that inspired the movie It. And did you know that after he was in prison, when, when they had different interviews about him, he, he said that he had no worry about afterlife because he would go to heaven because he was baptized. Wow. <laughs> That's all it takes. Okay. Is God a fool? Is God a fool? Does he not know our hearts? Even when, when King David would try to hide what was deep in his heart, God would expose him. We cannot fool God by simply going through a religious practice and saying, well, I did what you said. God's not going to accept that. Our, even just us as human beings, we don't accept that. What, what wife would be satisfied with a, a man that says, well, I said I love you. What more do you want? See, there has to be real action. There has to be real heart behind it. And so... Water baptism is a lot like a wedding ring. People ask, like, why do you have two rings? This one is so that people know that Lauren loves me. This one is so that I know Lauren likes me. <laughs> <laughs> but, see, my wedding ring is a symbol of my identity of being a married man. If I were to take this ring off or say we never got a ring, but we still got married, I would still be married. The, the ring is just a symbol of that, of that matrimony. It's a symbol of that identity. And so whether or not I wear it, I'm still married to my wife. So it is with baptism. It's a powerful symbol. That's, that's it's an important sacrament to our faith because it's a representation spiritually and naturally that we belong to somebody. But can you be saved without it? Yeah, sure. But why, why wouldn't you want to profess it? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now, now that we understand more in depth water baptism, I want us to, to go into the Holy Spirit baptism. Because just like Paul alludes to it here, it, it was so, the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so significant that he asks about it. Okay, there's, there's theologies that believe that at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit first came, that it was a once and for all Holy Spirit baptism for everybody. That no one, that everyone is just baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that even the moment that, there's others that say the moment that you believe in Christ, you're, you're automatically filled with the Holy Spirit. And that there's no special baptism or anything. There's no separation. And Paul, if that was true, Paul would not specifically ask. He would not specifically ask, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? If Paul understood it was a one and done thing at Pentecost, why would he ask that? 
Y'all feel what I'm saying? And, and I, want us to, I want to now go to Acts chapter 10, verse 44 through 48. It says, this is, this is the first Gentile convert. Gentile means non-Jewish person. And so it's the first Gentile convert to Christianity. God has this whole scene where he, he leads Peter to this house. And it says, uh, that this man Cornelius had his whole family ready to receive whatever message Peter was about to share. And it says, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And so here we see this distinction of the Holy Spirit baptism. And see the difference between the baptism of water and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is water is of identification while the Spirit is of impartation. Is an impartation. It's a filling. The, the water is for the outside. The spirit is for the inside. And I love how this baptism happens because we as human beings, we try to put all of these like contingencies on God. We try to put all of these rules and steps on God and that, well, you have to do it this way. You have to do it that way. It, I'm in this like Facebook Christian group and, and I, I saw this question the other day that someone asked saying, can you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit without being water baptized? And I'm just amazed at how Christians talk to each other on Facebook. It's so ugly, as if like they're like just attacking one another and bickering and arguing and disagreeing. And everyone is sharing like, well, what about the thief on the cross? He was never baptized. Or what about this? And so at Pentecost, they were all baptized. And it's just like this argument back and forth. And... And everyone was just attacking one another. And I just put this, this scripture reference. Acts chapter 10, it says it did it backwards. <laughs> See, in this moment, they were baptized in the Spirit. And then they were water baptized. And see, it, it shows that while these two things are important, God, it, it shows that God has this, this sense of grace to where it doesn't have to be done in the, this perfect order. He has this grace about it. And it shows us that God cares more about our heart and trying to get closer to him than he does about the perfection of how it's done. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And this impartation that happens, you know what's so special is that there, there's so many arguments about how someone receives the Holy Spirit. Some people believe that you have to be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit. That you have to be anointed with oil to receive the Holy Spirit. In this moment, the entire household received the Holy Spirit the moment that they believed. There's moments in Scripture, and just like we just read, where Paul specifically prayed for them to receive it. Here, the moment that they believed, they received the, the Holy Spirit. Just like that, there was this filling of the Holy Ghost. Before it, Peter could even finish talking. And it said that the Holy Spirit came on them, imparted to them so powerfully that they began speaking in, in tongues, that they began speaking in, in prophesying. And see, I believe that scripture shows us moments in which people pray in tongues, that like unknown language, that, that, that stuff that kind of freaks some people out, that retie my bow tie stuff, 
that I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Chevy. You got to say it faster than I bought a Honda, but I should have bought a Chevy. And all of a sudden you're speaking in tongues real good. But see, we see in scripture that there's both. There's some people that when they receive the Holy Spirit, it's like this natural inclination to start praising God. While some have this, this inclination where they just, it, they just start speaking in tongues. It's not that they're trying to speak in tongues, that they just, it just like flows. And what I see here is that we should not be fixated necessarily on what happens after the impartation, but we should simply focus. I love you, baby. <laughs> like, I, I got to get my dad's attention. I love you. I hear you. I see you, baby. I see your little feet. <laughs> see, I'll always, we can stop service to say hello to my little girl. <laughs> um, see, the, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, the impartation of the Holy Spirit, what that is, is it's something that is caught, not taught. It is just this filling of God's presence and spirit. It is the connecting force between us and God. It's the connecting force between us and Jesus. And it, it, without the Holy Spirit, we, we miss out on the grace, the grace, the graciousness of God, the power of God. We can still call on God's name and, and we can pray and all that, but when you're, I'm, we're going to go into this next part is how badly we need the Holy Spirit's impartation if we ever want to move the bar in our faith. Because it takes work to keep your faith active. It takes work to keep your faith active. And I want to be clear that I'm not saying that it takes work to be saved. I'm saying that it takes work to keep your faith activated. And what do I mean by that? In Ephesians 4.12 the Bible says that all of the offices of the church, the apostles, the pastors, the prophets, the teachers, the evangelists, that they, their role is for the purpose of equipping the saints, meaning the individual believer, for the work of ministry. So those offices, all, the pastor, the church offices, are not to, supposed to do the only ministry. In fact, each of us as believers have a calling and role to do ministry. That's what Ephesians 4.12 says. And so why is it that we hesitate? Why is it that we have that fear? Is because often I believe that we need that impartation of the Holy Spirit. We need to call on the power of the Holy Spirit because we need our spirit person to grow more than our fleshly person. Our fleshly person wants to hesitate, wants to run out of fear. Our, our fleshly person is afraid of rejection. Our fleshly person is afraid of failure, but our spirit man is able to rise up and it's able to help engage the work that needs to be done. And I want to think, I want, I want to talk about evangelism. Evangelism, I want to share a verse in Luke chapter 15, verse 7. This verse is so important because it shows how powerful evangelism can be in your life. This is Jesus talking, and he says, In the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents. And what does repent mean? Go from death to life. They go from death to life. Over one sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. All of heaven rejoices over one person finding life in Christ. 
And that's why I believe evangelism breeds that passion. Evangelism breeds the joy of our salvation. How, what is the difference between an on-fire evangelist that spent 15-plus years witnessing Christ to other people and the passion that they carry and the person who just gave their life to Christ today? What, what is the difference between that passion and the passion from 15 years later? And how come so many people don't match that passion in, in between those years? And I believe the difference is the evangelistic heart. See, that moment where you feel that infilling of joy, is, you're feeling the joy of heaven in that moment, connecting with you, because all of heaven is rejoicing because of God's great love for you being brought back to life. And that's why you feel that immense joy in that moment of salvation. And then, years go by, like, well, I just don't feel God anymore. I feel like that church doesn't have the Holy Spirit anymore. But perhaps it's because we have neglected moving the bar in our life. Perhaps it's because we've been going to the gym without working out and we're like, well, I'm not seeing the results that I want. See, evangelism breeds joy. It breeds passion. And I I would really like to challenge you that if you feel stagnant in your faith, try extending yourself. Try extending your faith in some way, reaching out to somebody else, whether it's a complete stranger, whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, of extending yourself in some way. Whether Even if it's, if it's inviting someone to church or if it's simply sharing why you have given your life to Christ. Have you, have you made a change in your life because of Christ and not told anybody about it? Try sharing your faith with those around you. And I'm telling you, That fear that we have, it's that fear of being rejected. Well, what if they don't like what I say? So what? Have you gotten upset because you shared that you liked a movie and someone, oh, I don't like that movie. Well, I liked it, so. (laughs) Do Do you have to ruin the entire relationship because they don't like cowboys versus aliens like you do? I like that movie. I'm, I'm, done, I'm done hiding it. <laughs> See, the relationship doesn't have to fall apart. You're simply sharing your experience. You're sharing your experience. You're not pushing your faith on them. You're giving them the opportunity to have a good experience like you have had. When you, when you tell somebody about a good restaurant, I mean, think about the first time you ate somewhere like, man, this smacks. This smacks. And that whole next week, you told everybody about it. You told everybody in the room, oh, that place is good. Yeah, you've been there. Oh, you got to try it. Imagine if we were to just have that same kind of, that same kind of relaxedness as we shared our faith. I, well, I just had a bad experience at church. Well, maybe you went to a bad church. I mean, have you had not been to like bad stores, but the other stores are kind of good? Me and my wife went to Texas Roadhouse the other day. Sucked. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, to the point where I almost walked out. I don't ever walk out. I'm, I, I married Lauren to do all that for me. Okay? She sends the food back. I don't have to do that. But see, it was so bad. And at the end of the day, I was like, well, I'm never going to go back to this one. It, but I wasn't going to throw off all of Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> I like the buns. I, I like the little rolls. 
the buns. Y'all, y'all can take my words out of context. Pastor San Antonio says that he likes butts. <laughs> See, I didn't throw off all of Texas Roadhouse because of one bad experience. See, and can we not share that kind of just like simple common sense logic when, as we share our faith? Does sharing our faith have to be so heavenly minded to where it doesn't make sense? No, we can just talk normally as we evangelize with other people. I think that's the biggest breakthrough I made as I tried witnessing to people as I stopped trying to do it the churchy way. I stopped trying to do it the, through the eyes of churchianity. And I just started being a real person sharing my faith. When I share my faith with someone, I simply, I'll start by just asking them, are you into church or anything like that? Are you into church or anything like that? Are you in the church or like anything like that? And, and see, it's so, it's kind of like it's directed but vague at the same time to where it doesn't make you feel like you have to say yes. That you're like, well, I was kind of raised in church, but it just wasn't for me. See, at least now we can talk about it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I get what you mean. I've been to bad churches too. For me, this is, this is what God did in my life. And I'm able to just share my story, my testimony and I'm able to praise Jesus through just sharing my, my, witnessing, my witness of Christ in my life. And I'm telling you, once I, once I started just being authentic as I shared my faith with others, I've never made someone mad. I've never had someone get so overwhelmingly angry at me, like, how could you force your opinion on me? I've not had that happen. And I share my faith all the time. When I, when I drove for Uber and Lyft, I would share it to everybody that got in my car. And even people who were strongly against church and God had a, a sense of respect for me. And we had a, this pleasant conversation as we talked about God. And, I, and even when they would express like that they were hurt by church, I would apologize. I'd say, man, I'm sorry that you, that happened to you. That sucks. That would make anyone be weary of trying it out again. But I hope that one day that, you know, maybe one day if you ever feel uh, like you're, you're open to it, God loves you. He really loves you. And sometimes people don't represent that well, but God truly loves you. See, there's, there's so much grace that we can experience if we would allow ourselves to practice moving the bar of evangelism in our lives. I, I would encourage you just practice. Just try it. And that's why every service we have that moment of feedback at the end where we openly talk about our faith and the message because I want us to be able to practice sharing our faith because if you don't ever practice it, you're never going to get to a place where you feel comfortable with it. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I had the same fears of rejection that you guys have all felt, but I don't have that anymore because now I'm comfortable with how I share my faith after years of practice. Now, if we understand that evangelism breeds that joy, that evangelism breeds passion to our faith, I want us to also understand that fasting it brings about confidence to your faith. It brings about confidence to God's power in your life. In Matthew chapter 16, or sorry, Matthew 17, verses 16 through 21, it says this. Is this moment where this, this person had this child that was demon-possessed. It says, so I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Jesus said, you faithless and corrupt people, 
How long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Then Jesus rebuked the demon and the boy, and it left him. From that moment, the boy was well. Afterward, the, the disciples asked Jesus privately, Why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. But this kind of demon won't leave except by prayer and fasting. See, I want us to understand what Jesus is saying here. At first glance, when I first read the scripture, I was like, dang, Jesus is mean. <laughs> Chill out, bro. He's, he's all mad at people. What he's saying is, how long am I going to be here to do this for you? He knows that his time is short. And he's saying, how long am I going to be able to do this for you? If you guys don't learn how to do the work of ministry yourselves, what are you going to do once I leave this earth? What are you all going to do in the meantime? That's what he's portraying, that we need to learn how to do ministry, that it's our role, that it's our job. And when he says you don't have enough faith, and he's talking about that if you had the faith this small, it would be enough. What he's saying is that if you allow that faith to start somewhere, it can grow. Allow that faith to start somewhere and it can grow. When the disciples walked into this situation, they walked in with this mentality that I can't do this. You ever had this thought that you should pray, to, pray for someone? You should talk to someone about Jesus, but you're, what's the first thought you get? Well, I can't do that. We immediately doubt God's power within us. And, and so we don't allow the seed of faith to grow because we stifle it. We hold off the water. And when Jesus says, this kind can only come out through prayer and fasting, notice that Jesus did not have a fasting session right before this moment. He's not saying that it can only come out if you fast. That is a requirement of, of this kind of step-by-step -step process for this kind of demon to come out. No, he's saying... You're going to have to pray and fast to grow your confidence, to grow the confidence of, of God's power within you. That you have to be able to allow your mind to believe the faith. You're going to have to let those things, two things connect and be able to see things through faith rather than through the eyes you see in your flesh. You have to grow your confidence. And that's what fasting does, is it brings about confidence to God's power already within you. It's already there. That power is already there. Fasting is simply checking your mind to really engage with that, to really believe that, to focus that. Because fasting, what is it? Fasting is depriving your body of nourishment, of good things. It's depriving your flesh. But what about your spirit? During times of fasting, you're supposed to pray. And so you're literally depleting your flesh and growing your spirit. That's what the process of fasting does. And I really believe that fasting is this, this untapped tool that God has given us that the church just doesn't do. We, 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 we just don't like the practice of fasting. And why is that? Is because of our fear, our flesh, our flesh. I, every time that I've had in my mind that I'm going to do a fast, I feel like leading up to the point, my flesh is just like going crazy. Just like going crazy, like you, like you, you don't want to do that because you started this new workout, you're going to pass out or something. It's like, I, I start thinking that even on a normal day, I could skip breakfast and just be fine. Like, I'll just eat lunch later. But when, I, when I'm deciding to fast, 
It's like, you can't skip breakfast or you're going to die. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. Your body needs to eat. And, and see, it's our flesh just trying to hold on. It's desperation to, to stay strong and alive. But our spirit, when we allow our spirit to grow, when we allow that intention and focus on our spirit, it gives that confidence, that confidence to be able to evangelize that confidence to be able to pray for someone and see things happen. I mean, this story is centered around the idea of a, of a demon being casted out of someone. Has anyone here seen a demon actually manifest and come out of someone besides on like movies like the exorcist? Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. It's great. Just this Friday night, I I was invited to this, um, this like men's gathering, this men's conference. And I thought I was just like, a, like, you know, there to enjoy. And the past, the, my, my, it's my spiritual pastor, my spiritual accountability partner that, that invited me there. And as I'm like at the end, I'm just having a moment of worship and they're having like this prayer time where they're praying for people. And I was like, I'm going to just like enjoy like and worship. And all of a sudden he's like, Hey, come over here. And I was like, uh Oh, I go over and this guy is literally like manifesting this crazy looking demon. And he's like clicking at the mouth. Like, and I'm like, dude, chill out, boy. <laughs> like, calm down. And he's having this full demonic episode where he's like, like convulsing, starting to hiss. I was like, man, this is creepy. <laughs> but see, we, we were able to pray over this man. It's something so wild. I mean, what, what, what was your first reaction? How would you handle that if you had this moment where you thought you were just going to pray for someone, like to to have a breakthrough in their life, and all of a sudden they start manifesting like that. How would you handle it? Would, and see, we were all able to gather around this man and pray this demon out of him it, to where he's like, literally, we had to bring a trash can because he's like, like throwing, out, throwing up demons from his, the pit of his stomach. We were able to do that because we had gained our confidence in God through time of prayer, times of fasting. We were able to increase our confidence in God's power. And I'm telling you, if you, if you were to have in your mind that you are called to do these kinds of supernatural things, these kind of spiritual things. I mean, some of us got family members that were like, you know what? They probably got a demon. <laughs> You're probably thinking about like your mother-in-law right now is like, I knew it. <laughs> That's what she needs. <laughs> See, if we were going to really engage spiritually I would call you that you should take it seriously. You should really take it seriously. It, going back to the gym analogy, if we just go into the gym with, with no guide, no, no idea at all, it can, we can feel powerless to what we're up against, right? <laughs> feel like you don't know where to start, and it will make you feel like you should just give up because you don't know where to start. Well, fasting is like that resource, that guide to help really get, it's like the Holy Spirit will just speak to you during times of fasting and prayer to where you will know what to do. It, it'll just happen, like that osmosis analogy I used earlier, it'll just, it'll happen to you if you allow yourself to spiritually pursue God. And you won't have to worry about what, what, what would I do if I ran into that? What would I say? The Holy Spirit will speak to you once you allow yourself to engage with Him spiritually. And all of the, all the things that we talked about today, we talked about taking responsibility for our faith. We talked about having full surrender. We talked about 
The idea of water baptism identifying us and Holy Spirit baptism imparting to us. And that passion is seen as an urgency. We talked about how that passion is bred through evangelism and how evangelism gives us joy. And we talked about how fasting brings about that confidence. All of these things, the number one thing that's hindering us from experiencing it is fear. Fear is the only thing stopping us from simply fasting. Fear is the only thing stopping us from evangelizing. Fear is the only thing that will stop us from even getting baptized. Fear is the only thing stopping you from having that real ownership of your faith. I want to share this last verse in 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. First John chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And it says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. And if we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. We love each other because He first loved us. Let me expound on this last verse. Perfect love casts out fear, and it's talking about if we hesitate, it's because we have this fear. Have you noticed that the, in our religion, the religion of Christianity, in our American church culture, we have perpetuated that fear should be our motivator. That our fear of God, our fear of punishment should be our motivator. And here this verse is saying, then you have not experienced true love. Because in Romans, the book of Romans, it says that God's kindness, that his compassion is what draws us to repentance. Not fear, but his love. And what is repentance? That change of direction being brought from death to life. And so if we are afraid, it's because we have not yet understood love. If as I'm sharing all of this message today, make, let me make it clear that the fear, this idea of fear being your motivator is the opposite of what I'm saying today. That we should not listen to this like, well, I should fast or God's not going to love me. No, that's fear. And if we understand love, then we would not be motivated by that fear because God loves you so undeniably, undeniably. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that we would not perish, but have eternal life. His whole mission is to bring us from death to life so that we would not perish, but have life. And so if we understand that all of his motivation is love, it should empower us to do these things. It should motivate us to do these things because you can't lose. You can't lose. He loves you that much. My kids, I love them so much. They cannot lose. When they're trying to do the monkey bars, they cannot lose. If they fall off the monkey bars, I'm going to be there to catch them and I'm going to help them to do it again. They can't lose. If they, if they fall, I'm going to be like, you couldn't hold on to those monkey bars? What kind of child are you? Not my child. No. See, everything that they attempt, I'm proud of them for. You must understand that in this, this idea that we're talking about a spiritual relationship with God, anything that we attempt, God, he's overwhelmingly joyful about. He's not waiting to slam dunk us to hell. He, he is, he's actually waiting to, with open arms 
for us to be able to imp be imparted to with the, the power and love of the Holy Spirit. So with that being said, I want us to all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here, and as I'm talking about this message, you've, maybe you've never heard the idea of having your motivation for God to be actually out of His love for you. Maybe you've only been taught fear. 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 And today you realize for the first time that God has simply called you His child. That He wants you to experience the goodness of God. He wants you to experience life rather than death. There's so much death and darkness in this world. You don't even have to go looking for it. It will find you. And if you've never had a moment where you've made a decision to go from death to life, and it's only through Jesus Christ that we have that option because of that sacrifice He made for us on the cross. If you've never made that decision to put your trust in Him and you want to do that today, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. And so I want you to just have a moment right there to yourself. The Bible says in the book of Romans, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who He says He is, surely you shall be saved. What is that salvation? Being brought from death to life. Surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is, if you have a genuine heart and talk to Jesus yourself, acknowledge who He is, the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, that's all it takes to start this life change experience, this journey, this relationship with God. That's all it takes to start it. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can have that conversation yourself. You can own your faith right now rather than relying on anyone else this is your first moment to own your faith and just simply talk to him yourself now while they're doing that if you're here and you feel like the holy spirit is just speaking to you today and you feel like this new calling within your heart about surrender full surrender full transparency and you feel this 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 inclination in your heart to move the bar in your life spiritually, that you're feeling this calling within yourself to start witnessing Christ to people around you, to start evangelizing, to start fasting, to start really taking the spiritual practice of God in your life seriously, and you feel this renewed calling in you. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to raise your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. So now I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I pray for just a full submersion of your spirit over these people, that they would experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit right now in this moment, right now in this moment, that they would experience the full baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that you'd cause them to experience the impartation of God in their lives. And as we go into worship, Lord, I pray that you just continue to pour your spirit over them, that they would feel the Holy Spirit growing and growing and growing with inside of them, that it would be this, this uncontrollable passion, this fire inside of their bellies of God just moving in their life. And I pray that you finish what you started in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. With that being said, we're going to go into a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life.
Hey, I hope that you enjoyed today's message. If you did, there's several different ways to connect. First is by subscribing to our show, leaving a review or a comment. Second is by going to gravetopchurch.com and clicking the Get Connected tab so that we can connect with you as an individual. And third is if this ministry has made an impact in your life and you want to help us to continue to reach others, then you can give online by clicking the Give tab. Until next time, thank you for being a part of Gravetop Church.